Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. show and we've got so much to get to following a wild week three in the NFL. We'll get to Justin Tucker kicking his way to history, kicking the Baltimore Ravens to victory and kicking me to a huge win in my survivor pick and pool. We'll get to, wait for it, the last place Kansas City Chiefs after three weeks here in the 2021 NFL season. But we've got to start with NFC football. The four best teams in the NFC all squared off in head-to-head matchups this week, and it was absolutely amazing. The LA Rams hosted the defending champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and on Sunday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers went to San Francisco, a place where they have stunk recently, a place where Aaron Rodgers has stunk recently, and just scraped by what would have been an amazing 49ers comeback. So let's start right there. Aaron Rodgers is a magician. And Aaron Rodgers knows that if he didn't lead that historic comeback Sunday night, going down the field with 37 seconds to go, down a point, and no timeouts left, that he would be getting crushed right now in the media. He knows that all anyone would be talking about is him and his Green Bay Packers being 1-2, and just like the Kansas City Chiefs in disappointing fashion to start the season, and blowing a 17-0 lead to fall to Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers yet again. I mean, don't forget, this is a team that embarrassed Rodgers in primetime twice in 2019. Once on Sunday Night Football, just like this, and the other time in the NFC Championship game that year. Aaron Rodgers knows what the headlines would have looked like. Don't forget, this is a guy who makes his weekly Tuesday afternoon appearance on the Pat McAfee show with his buddy, the former Colts punter, and he knows exactly what the media is talking about. He knows who's crushing him, who's ripping him, who's praising him, and he's not one of those old school quarterbacks who just keeps his head down and doesn't pay attention to the media. No, I think Rodgers is the incredible quarterback that he is, the no-doubt Hall of Famer, the no-doubt top three all-time QB, because he creates a chip on his shoulder because of what people are talking about. Whether it's the invasive stuff regarding his disruptive family life, or whether it's his underperforming defense, or lack of weapons, or drama with Packers GM Brian Gutekunst, Aaron Rodgers, I believe, thrives off of the buzz and off of the media. And he wasn't going to let a 1-2 Packers start, a 17-0 collapse, be in the headlines following that Sunday night game. So you have to give him all the credit in the world for just driving down the field, finding Devontae Adams for 25 yards to get to midfield, and then for another 17 to put Mason Crosby in field goal range for that game-winning kick. And how about Devontae Adams? I mean, how about Aaron Rodgers' partner in crime? Devontae Adams was invisible week one. I mean, look, everyone on Green Bay was invisible week one on both sides of the ball. That 38-3 loss 
to Jameis Winston Saints in Jacksonville. I mean, that was one of the worst all-around football games you have ever seen from the Green Bay Packers organization. But since then, Devontae Adams, 120 yards on Monday night in that throttling of Detroit. And then 132 on Sunday night against a really good defense in the 49ers. He accounted for over half of the Green Bay Packers yards that came in the air. And if you take out two big plays, a 47-yard reception by Marquez Valdez-Scantling and a 42-yard reception by Alan Lazard, take those two plays out of the picture and Devontae Adams accounted for over three quarters of Green Bay's yards in the air. I mean, he is all the way back. And when he's back, and when Aaron Rodgers is playing like he always plays, minus that week one game, I mean, there's no better duo in the National Football League. Right now, and you've got one I'll get to momentarily, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup are on the rise. You've, of course, got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, although that's being talked about less because teams are really zeroing in more on Diggs and Allen's spreading the love out in Buffalo. But year in and year out, this is no flash in the pan. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have better chemistry than any quarterback-receiver duo in the league, maybe because of the lack of weapons Rodgers has had, especially in the latter half of his career, maybe the best rapport in league history. But this comeback was just absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I call it a comeback. They were the ones who blew the lead. Of course, like I mentioned, they were up 17-0, but down one with 37 seconds left to go and no timeouts. And the Green Bay Packers made sure that they weren't going to fall to one and two on the young season. Now, as for... The San Francisco 49ers, look, I am the last person who believes in moral victories, but this game, if nothing else, was really, really encouraging. Because while I don't believe in moral victories, the 49ers' offensive bread and butter is a versatile, multi-headed rushing attack. And they had none of that going Sunday night. And the reason that they had none of that is because of injuries. They lost Raheem Mostert for the season, week one. They lost Elijah Mitchell, Who knows how long he'll be out. They lost him week two. Their running back was Trey Sermon, their lone running back. I mean, outside of him, they had to give Juice, Kyle Juznik, the fullback, some carries. I mean, the 49ers' offensive game plan has totally been disrupted by injuries, and they still hung in there with one of the best teams, definitely one of the best offenses in the National Football League on primetime. I mean, look, there's something to be said for that. Jimmy Garoppolo who I've always said that San Francisco has enjoyed success in spite of, not because of, looked cool, calm, and collected in a game where he once trailed 17-0. And look, did it help that George Kittle looked absolutely dominant and back to the George Kittle we know and love on Sunday night? Of course it helped. Just like I said, it helped Rodgers that Devontae Adams looked incredible. But just like how we can say in part Devontae Adams looked incredible because of Aaron Rodgers, we can say, in part, George Kittle looked dominant because of Jimmy Garoppolo. I I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on the one interception Jimmy G threw. He looked on the mark and confident, more importantly than anything, confident all night. You know, I don't want to be the one to say it, but maybe drafting Trey Lance was the best thing that could have happened to Jimmy G. Because the consensus after that pick was this is the last year he has in San Francisco with guaranteed money. So Lance will ride the bench and learn from him whatever he can learn from him because naturally he's just so much more of a gifted and talented athlete. And then after this season, when his guaranteed money expires, the 49ers will part ways with Jimmy G. They'll either trade him or they'll cut him. And it'll be the Trey Lance era. 
But I don't know if Garoppolo is going to make that decision an easy one for San Francisco. He might be playing the best football of his career this season because they drafted Trey Lance. Because for the first time in the years of watching Jimmy G, I have seen a fire lit under his ass. And that was evident last night. The Jimmy G I know, the Jimmy G of old, would have laid down down 17-0 to Aaron Rodgers and figured, well, if my defense can't stop one of the best quarterbacks of all time, I can't catch him. This game's over. But he refused to do that, even when the running game wasn't working, even when his own offensive line wasn't working. I mean, he got sacked four times in that game. This San Francisco 49ers offensive line is supposed to be among the best in the league. And it doesn't help that the Green Bay Packers defense is among the worst in the league. So you factor in the fact that he can't run the ball, and now he's got pressure bearing down on him and he's getting hit. Uh, I mean, this is what I mean when I say it was one of the most cool, calm, and collected games I've ever seen him play, even in a loss. I mean, this is a guy who, in 2019, I mentioned the San Francisco 49ers embarrassing Green Bay twice in that season. In the conference championship game that they won 37-20, to he only threw the ball eight times. He was six of eight for 77 yards. What does that tell you? That no one in San Francisco has or had any confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo in a big game. Well, Sunday night, when you're 2-0 trying to start the season 3-0 to keep pace with your division rival LA Rams and Arizona Cardinals, when you're going up against one of the best teams, best quarterbacks in the league who you will be battling for playoff seeding with, that's a big freaking game. And Jimmy G kept pace with Aaron Rodgers every step of the way. Rodgers got off to that head start, but Jimmy G made up ground and then some in the final two, two and a half quarters of play there. That's the best game I've ever seen him play. Not the best game his 49ers have played, but for me, that is the best game I've ever seen Jimmy Garoppolo play. And it's just a shame that it comes in a loss. But I'll tell you what, this is a Jimmy Garoppolo in these first three games in terms of passion, fire, leadership, and just overall play and making throws. This is a Jimmy G that I have not seen before. And I think that as competitive as that NFC West is, where the Seattle Seahawks are easily the worst team in the division right now, I think Jimmy G can compete with the Rams, with the Cardinals. In fact, I'll still say, even though they're 2-1 and and Arizona's 3-0, the 49ers are still a little bit better than the Cardinals. I think he can compete with them, with the Bucks, with the Packers, with any team in football this year. And he is not a quarterback that I have ever said that about in the past. Now, a quarterback who I do love, a quarterback who is now in the same division as Jimmy Garoppolo, just beat the GOAT yesterday. I mean, how about Matthew Stafford and the LA Rams? Those LA Rams are so for real. And I've been saying it since the preseason. Hell, I've been saying it since I was raving about that Stafford-Jared Goff trade back at Radio Row ahead of Super Bowl 55 down in Tampa in February. The LA Rams, the second they made that trade, went from perennial playoff team to Super Bowl contender. And look, don't forget, I'm going to brag a little bit here. I was all over this pick last week. If you watched my other show, my weekly Wednesday night football betting show, Plays and Parlays, that I do with my buddy Jarrett Bailey, the Steelers writer over at Sports Illustrated, I was all over this pick. This was my extra point. My money line underdog of the week took the Rams plus 110, not to cover the point and a half, but to win outright. And you know my reasons behind it. Tom Brady is not historically an incredible September quarterback. And I say not incredible because he's great, but September 
is his worst regular season month. Tom Brady in November, December, very different from Tom Brady in September. He was primed to lose this game. You're on the road going up against one of the best two-way teams in football, much like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Rams, top two defense, elite offense. Now they finally, for the first time in years, have a quarterback. This was a classic Tom Brady September loss. First game in Los Angeles, the 36th now NFL city that he's ever played a game in. And while people talk about that in awe and in absolute amazement, I think what people need to talk about is the fact that Tom Brady, because he's been around so long and he's played in every stadium multiple times, knows the ins and outs of every stadium in the NFL, not just his home stadium. Well, it was his first experience in SoFi Stadium. And being his first time out there, that puts him at an instant disadvantage. He doesn't know how loud it is. He doesn't know what the backdrop looks like when he's dropping back in the pocket to throw a pass. And none of that's easier when you're dropping back and Aaron Donald is the beast bearing down on you. Or when Jalen Ramsey is locking up Mike Evans. And look, I know Mike Evans had 100 yards and I said he would be a non-factor in this one. Well, before Tampa Bay was able to actually get in the game, they were down 21-7 and Mike Evans to that point only had 30 yards. So don't talk to me about his 100-yard performance when Jalen Ramsey took him out of the game while it was still a game. I mean, the Rams, you know, these two teams, it was a scoreless first quarter. They traded punts on the first, I believe, five or six possessions. And then the Rams pulled away once things got going. You know, Matthew Stafford started one of six on the day. And Tampa Bay, just like the Rams, you know, I say top two defense. These are the best two defenses in the National Football League. Matthew Stafford was able to figure out the Bucks' defense. The Bucks were not able to figure out the Rams' defense. They were able to put some points on the board in garbage time. Tom Brady was able to pad his stats. You look at the box score. Wow, he threw for 432 yards. Matthew Stafford had a much better game. Matthew Stafford, after that one-for-six start, went 26 of 32 the rest of the way with four touchdowns. How many times did Tom Brady get in the end zone? Once in the air and once on the ground. And that's another major problem with Tampa Bay. Another reason that the Rams were simply the better team are simply the better team because Tampa Bay has no versatility on offense whatsoever. Look, the Rams don't have an elite run game, right? I mean, Sonny Michel's their running back. He is not one of the top 20 running backs in the National Football League, but they're able to run the ball. And because of that, they're able to open up play action. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers just can flat out not run the ball. They can't. They're one of the worst two teams in football. The only team worse at running the ball, no surprise here, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. But for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to average just 56 yards per game on the ground, for Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette to combine for just 19 yards on nine carries, that's absolutely inexcusable. That's not how you win a Super Bowl. And look, I'm not saying because they're 2-1 and because they lost one game against an amazing team on the road that they are out of Super Bowl contention. But I'm saying if this run game doesn't wake up and they continue to be a one-dimensional offense all season, they're going to run into problems. That's what I'm saying. Because Tom Brady was not as good as his 432 yards might indicate. 260 of those yards came after he had already dug himself, his team rather, had already dug itself into a 14-point hole. Mike Evans was a non-factor when this was still a competitive football game. They didn't have Antonio Brown. Rob Gronkowski got banged up. I mean, all of a sudden, the weapons start to disappear, and Tampa Bay, as you saw, as was blatantly evident in this game, cannot keep up with a team 
like the Los Angeles Rams because Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, all of a sudden, we're going to start talking about them like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. How about the rapport between those two? I mean, Matthew Stafford has absolutely longed for a connection like this since Calvin Johnson retired six years ago. And I know he saw two incredible years with Kenny Galladay out in Detroit. But in just three games together, I think his rapport with Cooper Cup is already better than what he had with Kenny Galladay. I mean, Cup through three weeks is leading the NFL in receiving yards. He is leading the NFL in receiving touchdowns. He's already sniffed the end zone five times in two weeks. Look, this is a guy who I always thought was a really good 1B to have, but I never looked at Cooper Cup and said, oh, he's one of the top 10 receivers in the NFL. Well, right now he's number one, and the stats will prove it to you. Deshaun Jackson, I mean, this is a guy who I thought was retired in the offseason, and now he's out in LA, and he had another touchdown of 75-plus yards, beating everyone in that Tampa Bay secondary, which, by the way, still a major weakness of theirs. By the way, I said it last week, a huge reason I was picking the Rams to win. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, he's an old man at this point, and he torched everyone in that Rams or in that Buccaneers secondary and wrote to his ninth career touchdown of 75 or more yards, which, by the way, ties him for the all-time NFL lead. Look, this Rams team, it's as good a two-way team as you'll find out there. Slightly better than the Bucs because they can run the ball and because they do have a secondary. This is a team who, much like Tampa last year, you can look out for them to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium come February. When we get back all over the last place Kansas City Chiefs and why even though we're only heading into week four, this season might be slipping away. So stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. here on Sorallo Sports Talk and I know that you are probably just as shocked as I am the Kansas City Chiefs the two-time defending AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs are in last place in the AFC West they are in last place in a division that has the Denver Broncos who are 3-0 and the Las Vegas Raiders who are also 3-0 I mean the Kansas City Chiefs I don't know what the hell is going on out there. But I know that their defense needs a serious wake-up call. I mean, this is a defense through three weeks that is dead last, tied with the Detroit Lions, allowing almost 32 points per game through three contests. In terms of yards per game, they are the third worst defense in the NFL. This is not a team on this current trajectory that they're on that's going to get back to a Super Bowl for the third straight season. It is just not going to happen with a bottom three defense in every statistical category. It would be impossible for the Chiefs 
to make a Super Bowl run unless something changes, unless they get a wake-up call that they so desperately need on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, look, the offense, they've looked great, right? They haven't scored fewer than 24 points that they put up a couple days ago against the Chargers in any contest, but that's not enough. You can't score 24 if you're going to allow 30. You can't score 35 if you're going to allow 36 to a Baltimore Ravens team that just barely squeaked by the Detroit Lions. I mean, this is why you can't figure football, right? You've got the Ravens beat the Chiefs 36-35 on Sunday night football and then go to Detroit and only scrape by the Lions because their kicker set an NFL record by drilling a 66-yarder as time expired. Uh, Wouldn't that be something if the Ravens beat the Chiefs and lose to the Lions? I think more than any other team, that would have spoken to really just how bad the Kansas City Chiefs are on defense this season. I mean, the offense is good. It's not great like it's been in the past. And that really makes me question, are they complacent? Does this team still have a fire or is that fire gone? I mean, outside of Patrick Mahomes, I don't see any hunger on this team from anyone on either side of the ball. In fact, ironically, because of how bad their defense has been, the guy who I probably see who feels it most, who wants it most outside of Patrick Mahomes is Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, who had a couple of INTs in the first quarter against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens two weeks ago on Sunday Night Football. But I don't really see a lot of guys on this team who want it. I see complacency. I mean, does Tyreek Hill want it? He didn't seem like he wanted it when he couldn't hold on to the ball. Got it punched out against the Chargers as the Chiefs were driving. Talk about a momentum killer. Does Travis Kelsey want it? And outside of the Honey Badger, I mean, I'm not even going to ask the question. I will say I don't think anyone on the defensive side of the ball outside of him wants it. Uh, This is real bad. And, you know, look, teams, whenever teams have one weapon, a guy like Devontae Adams on the Packers, sure, you can zone in on that one guy and try to eliminate him. I mean, with Adams, it's really, really hard to, but you can try. The Chiefs have weapons, right? They've got Tyreek. They've got Travis Kelsey. Now, breaking news, just as I'm recording this, we find out Josh Gordon's heading to Kansas City. Great. But what's the game plan here? Are you going to try to win 45-38 every week? Because there are going to be weeks where you can't score 45, right? You're starting two rookies on the offensive line. And even though it's an O-line that looks a lot better than the one they ran out there, filled with backups in Super Bowl 55 against Tampa, it's still not a great offensive line. You still don't have Eric Fisher. You still don't have Mitchell Schwartz. It's better, but it's still not anywhere near as good as it was during last year's regular season or during the Super Bowl run, the Super Bowl winning unit of the year before. I mean, the defense is absolutely abysmal. So while, yeah, signing Josh Gordon's great because let's face it, McCole Hardman, after the Sammy Watkins loss, after he went to Baltimore, McCole Hardman, as much as I love him and I truly do, he's not a number two. I think he's a really good number three wideout. So you pair Gordon now with Tyreek. You have Travis Kelsey. The offense is absolutely incredible. It's otherworldly. No one here is disputing that. But that doesn't help this defense in any way, shape, or form. Look, this is a defense that doesn't apply pressure. You know, you've got Chris Jones uh, in the middle at nose tackle. And is he an all-pro caliber player? Absolutely. Of course he is. They're not stopping the run. And that's his specialty. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens ran the ball at will against Kansas City. They haven't stopped the pass against anyone. Justin Herbert just threw the ball down their throats. I mean, this is a defense that desperately needs a change. So while, yes, I love the Josh Gordon signing, you're not going to win a Super Bowl if your game plan is to beat teams 45-38. Because Tampa Bay last year in the Super Bowl 
held them to nine. And there are going to be teams, the Bucks, the Rams, if they even make it that far. I mean, the Bills could do it on the way there. You know, the Denver Broncos could do it in one or even both of their matchups. The Chargers just did it. This is not a team that's going to be able to score at will anymore against the rest of the National Football League. And until they address the major woes on the defensive side of the ball, this season could slip away sooner than you anticipate. I mean, I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying that they're not going to win the division. Look, they're two games back, three weeks in, and they still have two matchups with Denver, with the Raiders, and one with the Chargers to make up ground. There's plenty of time left. But in terms of getting the one seed and the lone bye week that now comes with it because of the expanded postseason, now seven teams make it, I mean, that could slip away sooner than you think. They're fortunate that a really bad Steelers team some way somehow knocked off Buffalo week one because the way the Bills are playing the last two weeks, outscoring opponents, what, 78 to 14? I mean, the Buffalo Bills look like a team right now that can sure as anything run away with the one seed. The Cleveland Browns, of course, who Kansas City beat week, week one, but they're a really complete team on both sides of the ball. And they dominated Kansas City for most of that game, but Mahomes, the second half magic, of course, that all prevailed. But Cleveland is way more complete than Kansas City. You know, I don't want to say the Tennessee Titans just yet. They have a lot of questions on defense and they play in a weak division, but I mean, it's not going to be easy for Kansas City to claw their way out of last place in their own division. And try to not just make the playoffs, not just even win the division, but try to get that one seed that they expect to get every year. Try to win that Super Bowl that, yes, they expect to win every single season. There are major problems in Kansas City right now. They got exposed in the Super Bowl, and they have totally carried over to this season for probably 10 out of the 12 quarters that the Kansas City Chiefs have played. I mean, that Browns win week one, this is a Chiefs team that could easily be staring 0-3 in the face right now. And it's not because they can't score the ball. It's because they can't stop a JV offense. It's because their defense is comparable to that of the Detroit Lions right now in terms of allowing nearly 32 points per game. The Atlanta Falcons, who were allowing 40 points per contest in the first two weeks of the season, now have a better scoring defense than the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, is that because they just played my woeful New York Giants a couple days ago? Absolutely. But still, there is no point in the season where the Atlanta Falcons should on paper have a better defense than the Kansas City Chiefs. And right now they do. So Kansas City, while I love the Josh Gordon signing, while I think he's another amazing weapon to add to Patty Mahomes' arsenal out there, offense is not the problem. Defense is, and until it's addressed, the Kansas City Chiefs are not even in the same class as the Buffalo Bills, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as the Los Angeles Rams. They need some major work out in Kansas City to ensure that the Chiefs can get back to a third straight Super Bowl. When we come back, my final word right here on Sorallo Sports Talk. Stick around. You don't want to miss this. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word right here on this week's episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. And Justin Tucker 
Forget the five-year waiting period. This man needs to go to the Hall of Fame the day after he retires. I mean, he has to be the most exciting, electric, and forget hands down, the best kicker to ever play the game. Uh, This guy, 66 yards as time expires nonetheless. I mean, this wasn't like a heading into the locker room for halftime. You're up 21. Let's just try a 66-yarder. You know, it wasn't like the Matt Prater 68-yarder for Arizona that Jamal Agnew and the Jaguars returned 109 yards for a touchdown at the end of the first half. We're talking a 66-yarder, an NFL record long kick as time expires when you're down one for the win. I mean, that is gotta be single-handedly the best kick in NFL history. You put in the record distance, combine that with the circumstance, you know, really, I know we're in week three of the season and it's early and of course everyone wants the drama and, you know, they want these show hosts like myself to come out overreacting, but this really is a must-win game for Baltimore. This was the easiest game on paper on the Ravens' schedule this year. They're coming off a win against Kansas City, first time Lamar's ever done that in four tries. Uh, this was an absolute must-win when you're in a division with the Cincinnati Bengals, who, by the way, are 2-1, and one, with the Cleveland Browns, who are the favorites to win the AFC North. You have to beat the worst team on your schedule. And Baltimore would not have done that if it wasn't for Justin Tucker and his golden leg. I mean, this was an absolutely awful day for Lamar Jackson and company. And one thing that I'm really, through three weeks this season, starting to question is my defense of Lamar Jackson. Is he an amazing runner? Yes, everyone knows that. No one disputes that. No one argues that. But my argument, where I'm always caught taking his side, is saying that he's not just an amazing runner, but he's an amazing quarterback. And I believe that to this point in his career, he has been an amazing quarterback. But this season, right here, right now in 2021, Lamar Jackson is not in the top half of quarterbacks in the National Football League. He just isn't. I mean, passing yards... He is 17th, so right there statistically, not in the top half. But just his overall decision-making. The guy has an even touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's only got three touchdowns, and on the flip side, he's already thrown three interceptions this season. Two of them, of course, came in the first quarter against Kansas City. But this week, in Detroit, I mean, this is a team that the Ravens should have steamrolled. Talk about spreads, they were eight-point favorites, luckily, I teased them when they were minus seven and a half down to minus one and a half. Luckily, with Justin Tucker's kick, they won by two and they covered my teaser. But forget all of that. Forget the spread. They should have won just on talent by three scores easily. And they go out there and they make the Lions defense, which statistically, as I just mentioned in the last segment, is tied with the Chiefs for the worst scoring defense in the National Football League. They made them look like the 85 Bears at times. Lamar got sacked four times in that contest. He only ran for 57 yards on the ground. Couldn't throw the ball. Could not throw the ball until he miraculously found Hollywood Brown on that final drive to set up the 66-yarder. I mean, Lamar Jackson, there's no way to sugarcoat this. There's no way for me to defend him anymore. He has been bad this season, and they just play the worst team on their schedule. It only gets harder from here. Baltimore has one of the toughest schedules in the National Football League this season. So look, while Justin Tucker... You can sing his praises all day. You can do it his entire career. The guy's been consistent as anyone. He's the best kicker in NFL history. But your kicker isn't going to be there to bail you out every single week. The Ravens need to wake the hell up. 
They finally gave Lamar a receiving core that's worth a damn. They brought in Sammy Watkins. They drafted. Uh, I mean, there are no more excuses for the Baltimore Ravens. The defense has, with the exception of the Kansas City game, looked pretty good. They looked competent against Detroit. And I know Jared Goff stinks, and maybe that's the only reason why they looked competent. But the defense was pitching a shutout for a majority of that game. Baltimore should have been up 24-0 before the Lions even got on the board. Look, I don't know what's going on out there in Baltimore, but they're a team that's barely 2-1. And And as far as I'm concerned, so far they've been just as disappointing as the Kansas City Chiefs and as a team we didn't even talk about here on the show today, the absolutely disgraceful Seattle Seahawks, who Russ Wilson is once again having an amazing September, having an amazing start to his season. But just like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, doesn't have a defense worth a damn. Now, before we wrap this episode of Serralo Sports Talk up, I mentioned my survivor pick lives on. Justin Tucker keeps my survivor pick going. So far, I've used the 49ers week one against the Lions, the Ravens here week three against the Lions, and the Denver Broncos week two against Jacksonville, who trust me, I would have loved to have available week three for their 26-0 destruction of the Jets. But the survivor pick lives on. And speaking of picks, you all know that this show, this Serralo Sports Talk episode is available on the Believe Podcast Network. Well, the Believe Podcast Network is running a weekly pick'em. They give everyone in the pick'em 10 games, the same games for everyone. And there is a weekly prize as well as a season prize for the 119 contestants. Well, so far through the season, I am in first place out of 119, tied with one other contestant, four first out of 119. And the reason I'm tied for first right now is because I'm coming off a nine and one week. So I am the weekly prize winner. I got a pair of free sneakers coming my way. And I went nine and one on the week, which means that you need to listen to my picks. And because this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is coming out so early in the week, it's a recap episode, not a week four preview. So where are you going to find my picks this week? Well, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitter, my Twitter page, at the Joe Serralo. That's when my show that I alluded to before, Plays and Parlays, airs live. The recap is also on YouTube Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, so there's no excuse for you not to watch that show, not to get my weekly picks. You can also find my pick of the week on my Instagram at Joe Serralo and on my TikTok at Joe underscore Serralo. So there's no excuse because before I start charging for these picks that I'm absolutely crushing so far this season, get them for free while you can. Tune into Plays and Parlays Wednesday nights live on Twitter, 8 p.m. Eastern. The show is up Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern on YouTube as well. And now... This episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Wild week three in the NFL. I can't wait to see what week four brings. So I'll see you guys on Plays and Parlays Wednesday night at 8 p.m. live on
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.